hope you guys are having an incredible Thursday. It is a beautiful day today. First time we're gonna have two episodes in the same week, so that's awesome. Also today might finally be the first time that we'll have two guests on the very same show. We'll have Jane Aikens joining me in about five, six minutes. Michigan State point guard or guard. He's one of the top guards in the country, a part of a team that will likely enter the season in the top five team in the preseason polls. The second hour, we're going to have Tyler Perry joining me, one of the top transfers in the entire country this past year. He is going to be heading out to Kansas State now. So we'll have both those guys on the show. And that's going to be a lot of fun. We have lots of different topics to get into of stuff that's been going down in the NFL. We also had a very historic volleyball game yesterday we'll get into as well with Nebraska. So we're going to talk about that later on. But with that being said, I do want to get into today's verse of the day. And that is going to be Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, which reads this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, so this verse is something that is pretty deep, it's pretty long, but I want to dive right into it. So I want to talk for the first part of this. At the end of the day, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We know that living in this world, there's going to be trials and tribulations, there's going to be temptations, and, and none of us will be perfect, sure, but the more that we are able to focus our eyes on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the more that we'll be able to live in the power and the strength of him. And we'll be able to withstand and, and get through the trials and tribulations of this world. Now, by fixing our eyes on him does not mean just necessarily just reading the Bible, just going to church on Sundays, but continually throughout the duration of a day, throughout the duration of your life, praising him, thinking about him, keeping your mind on him. He was the only one to ever live this world Go live through this life in a perfect manner. And by doing so, we have the best demonstration, the perfect example of how to do that. Now, I know none of us will be perfect. I most certainly am not. I know no one else is except for him. But by fixing our eyes on Jesus, we can continue to strive to follow him wholeheartedly, pursue him wholeheartedly, and become the man that and the people that he has called us to become. Because he is perfecter of faith. He's done everything for us. And the joy for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So as a perfect man, he's the one that, like I said, did everything perfectly, unlike us, yet he endured the cross so that we could have our burdens broken down. We don't have to live with the guilt or shame of this world, but we can withstand the temptations of this world, and we can pursue him wholeheartedly, knowing what the blood did on the cross of Jesus. He took on the shame, and he sat down the right hand of the throne of God. That next part is also critical, because as believers, we know that we don't have to live with the shame. When we fall into fellowship and relation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our shame is gone. Now, like I said, we're not perfect. We all have shame, guilt in some way, shape, or form, but that can be put aside because as we saw, now we won't necessarily be sitting at the right hand of the throne of God because we're not God, but we get to go to heaven. We get to have fellowship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with the creator of this world. And by doing so, all we have to do is just accept Jesus for what he did by rising from the dead and dying on the cross for us and then rising from the dead. So that's today's verse of the day. As I said, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So that is today's verse of the day. But as I mentioned, there are a few different things I want to get into before we add Jaden in here and we get right into that interview talking about Michigan State, talking about what they've got in store for this year. We're going to go through his career, talk about some ups and downs, and, and go through his life a little bit as well. But before that, there are some headlines that I want to give you guys a little bit of a preview for that we're going to discuss um, about midway segment after the Jaden Aikens interview and in between the Tyler Perry interview. Some big topics. Nebraska women's volleyball says women mark at 92,003 fans to be exact. That's remarkable. If, you, if anyone watched that, it is worth watching the, the, the walkout, the stadium, 92 plus thousand people. 
That's remarkable. Women's record. I forgot exactly what the number was for the largest ever for a volleyball game. I believe I want to say it was 16,000, maybe 18,000, maybe even 20,000. But the point, the fact of the matter is that they blew that record out of the water. And we saw an entire stadium fall in love with that team, show support. It's a remarkable scene to watch. I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit shocked. I did not know that many people would show up for a volleyball game. I watched that and it's remarkable. And I think that this is, it is changing times a little bit. We talked about women's college basketball and what happened last year. March Madness, Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, LSU versus Iowa. And, and, and obviously, you still got UConn, you got all of them. The spotlight is larger and larger on women's sports right now. It's great to see that. A couple of things, TJ Hawkinson ex- agreed to an extension, a four-year record-setting $68.5 million with an average of $17.125 to be specific million dollars per year. He becomes the highest average earning tight end in all the NFL in the history of it. Let me make that. Also, UFC, NBA, and NFL demand faster takedowns for illegal streaming. And the Patriots also just recently claimed Panthers quarterback Matt Corral. He was a 2022 third-round pick. If we would go back a year from a year ago, he obviously was a guy that was being considered as a first-round pick. Slid, had the had the little foot injury. All that stuff went down. However, now he's a Patriot. And then I'm excited to get into that take because there is something I want to talk about because there's two other quarterbacks that's in that Patriots organization that I was high on and I thought maybe they should have been on the roster already, but they decided to go with Matt Corral. I'm going to give my take on that after the Jacob Aikens interview. Very special guest is now joining me, Michigan State guard Jaden Aikens. He's one of the top guards in the entire country. He's going to be one of the leaders on a team that's expected to head into the season as potentially a top five team, a team that has a legitimate chance to win a national championship. But he's also been a guy that I've had on many times. He's truly been rocking with me since the beginning. I think this is either our third or fourth interview as well. And now he's obviously emerged, as I mentioned, into one of the top players in the country. So with that being said, it's a blessing to be able to welcome on Michigan State guard Jaden Aikens. Jaden, how you doing today, man? Man, I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, man. Of course. You always welcome on, man. Well, I want to first get into this because, as I mentioned, this year you guys head into the season as a team that I, I could just mention is regarded as potentially a top five preseason team. This legitimate national championship hopes for you guys. You guys have talent. You guys have great returners. You guys have great young guys coming in. How excited are you heading into the season now? Uh, I'm super excited. Uh, like you said, I feel like we got a lot of talent on our team. Uh, you know, we got to put it together, but it's just a good buzz going around right now, just, you know, about our team on campus. Uh, we also were excited to kind of get out there and get things going. Well, walk us through your offseason a little bit because you guys are now back in school. You guys are going to start preparing to get into the season in about a month or two. So you've now gone through the summer workouts. You've gone through a lot of different stuff like that. What's this offseason been like for you? Uh, I feel like this was my best offseason uh, personally, uh, just mm-hmm. being in college, but as far as the team offseason, I feel like, you know, we put in a lot of work. You know, we had the practices uh, that are given to us by the NCAA, I guess. You know, got a lot of individual workouts in, lifts. Mm-hmm. felt like I got stronger. Uh, a lot of team bonding, you know, that's when the offseason is, like, really good because you don't have a lot of uh, too much of a school schedule. You know, you still got some classes, but you can really, like, hang out with the guys a lot and just kind of acclimate the new guys um, and hang with the veterans and just kind of bring the whole team together. So it's really been fun in that aspect, just getting to know everybody. All right, so I want to walk us through – I want you to walk us through this draft process for yourself because when you originally declared, I think there's some people that might have said, well, is he an NBA guy yet? Is he that? But a lot of people that know college and NBA difference is that obviously it's a much different game and your play style, your athleticism, your defense, obviously the guy that has NBA potential. So you go through this draft process and you get to go learn and, and get evaluations and whatnot. 
take us to the decision just to originally enter though the process like what what led you to decide to say you know what i want to go go out there get some feedback and just see where i stand we're ranked against some of the top guys that are true nba prospects uh definitely i mean i feel like you know one day i'll be in the nba uh, i mm-hmm. want to you know chase my dreams and like you said get an evaluation get feedback just see where i stood uh in order to you know kind of better myself and know what I have to do. So I feel like that's what I, my mindset was going into that. Uh, and I feel like I got, it was positive for me at the end of the day. So so what did you learn when you got out there and heard it feedback? What's some of the things you learned and decided now that you need to work on your game as you head into this next season? Uh, really just sharpening a lot of my game. You know, I feel like, you know, I, I'm a pretty good shooter, but mm-hmm. I can always get better at stuff. Like it's, it's really just getting better at everything. You can't really be complacent in one aspect, but just, you know, getting better at everything. I feel like my playmaking is going to take a jump this year, Um, just being more comfortable in those type of situations uh, from just my experience. So uh, I feel like everything, though, I'm going to be better at everything this year. So when you look at your game, your freshman season, you were just kind of getting accustomed to Coach Itza's system and playing a little bit here and there. This past year, you take a pretty big jump, but I truly think that this upcoming season will truly be a breakout season for yourself. Obviously, a lot of people know you now. We know that you're a starting player. We know that you're one of the core pieces. But I mean, should we take a jump to potentially being an all Big Ten type player, being a guy that people are talking about as potentially defensive player of the year in the conference and whatnot? How excited are you for this upcoming season now? Uh, I'm super excited. Uh, like you said, my first first couple of years, I feel like I took steps in the right direction. Uh, mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm just going to kind of put everything together this year. Uh, to help my team win and just see where it goes from there. But I really can't wait. I'm excited uh, to, you know, just prove myself right. So what do you think is the biggest thing that people should be looking forward to watching you? Like when you get back on that court, what's the biggest growth you think you've had in your game over the past few months since during this offseason? Uh, I feel like just my like my poise and just my, my pace a little bit. I feel like I've gotten better with pacing. Um, and just kind of getting to my spots and being more comfortable um, and, you know, using my athleticism and, athleticism and quickness, but also, you know, being able to play with more pace. So we got to get into Coach Tom Izzo because he is one of the great all-time college basketball coaches. He is an incredible what he's done on the court, off the court, and so on and so forth. Walk us through your guys' relationship, though, because you're now heading into year three with him, probably about year four or whatever it is of just knowing him now, though. What's your guys' relationship like today? I feel like our relationship, our relationship is good. I feel like it's grown over the past couple of years. Uh, I feel like he kind of has more trust in me now, you know, being an upperclassman. So um, it just took time for that, though. Uh, you know, coach, you know, he, he's hard on you, but at the end of the day, he loves you. So I just mm-hmm. feel like it's really a good balance. And it's the reason why, you know, he's a Hall of Fame coach. So what's your favorite memory that you've created so far, Coach Tom Izzo? Uh, favorite memory? I, I don't know. I couldn't give you one. Like, it's been some funny moments, but I don't really have, like, a favorite, favorite memory. Um, so we got, we're trying to make some more this year. I mean, it's some funny moments. Like, you know, Coach be breaking clipboards and stuff. That's, like, funny memories and stuff like that. It's not too funny when it, when it's happening. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. But he, he cool. So how often does that occur? How often do you see coaches that break a clipboard? Uh, it's definitely about once a game for sure, at least once a game. <laughs> at least once a game. Now, do you guys ever talk about that with him? Because I'm sure you guys in the locker room, all the other guys probably talk about that. But have you ever talked to Coach Izzo? Do you guys ever make fun about that when you get just talking with him? Uh, we, we, we brought it up before. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty normal, so it's not really anything to sweat about. Yeah. 
So when you look at you guys just off the court, because I know a lot of people get to see Coach Izzo for who he is on the court, and we see what he looks like on the co- on the court when he coaches and and post game interviews, whatever it might be. How about off the court? He guys are just traveling somewhere. You guys are on the bus talking. Is they're going out to eat, whatever it might be. What's he like there? Uh, he's pretty chill. He's cool. I mean, like uh, days leading up to the game. Like if it's the day before the game, like he's he's gonna be locked in, but he's gonna be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um. I feel like him on the court and him off the court are two different people, though. Like, he's more laid back off the court for sure. So mm-hmm. that's kind of my best description I could give. How would you say your guys' relationship has grown from when he first started recruiting you to today? I feel like it's grown a lot, you know, just being here. You know, it's nothing like being here than in the recruiting process. Like, the recruiting process is crazy just because, you know, you got – a lot of yeah. different coaches coming at you and then, you know, they all want you to attend their school. So you get there and then you got to put the work in, you know, to really, to really uh, reach what the goals that you set for yourself. So I feel like me and his relationship has grown a lot uh, in these past couple of years. Uh, and like I said, I feel like he trusts me more now. How would you say that trust has grown? Because I think when you look at it, he's had so many elite all time, great guards. He's been able to coach. So, I'm sure when you kind of look at you like, okay, well, I've got all these other guys that I can compare myself to. I can become another great guard, what, so on and so forth. How would you say him kind of giving you the trust now to be a guy that he considers one of his go-to players now? How would you say you've seen that trust grow over the past couple of years? Um, I mean, I would say I don't know when it, when I was a freshman, like it was about kind of getting on the floor and playing. You know, I didn't play the most minutes, so I was just trying to get on the floor, and make an impact. And then last year, like, I was moved into a starting role. So, you know, that's a jump from freshman to sophomore. Uh, I feel like I didn't get to do everything. I didn't get to – but I didn't do any – I didn't, like – how am I trying to say this? I didn't do everything, but I didn't do very little. Like, I was – I feel like I was in the middle. Like, I was still an impact player, I feel like. So, like, it just kind of shows, like, it grows over the the time span. And then I feel like right now it's just at an all-time high as far as me putting the work in and showing him, like – like this is what I want to do and him like believing in it. So so I want to break down your game a little bit because I think that when people watch you, especially last season, not a lot of people were familiar early on in the year. And then we see you all of a sudden break down. You have a dunk like you had on Jace Howard against Michigan. You have a big old dunk like you had against USC. Walk us through your game because I feel like there's a lot of things that people don't fully understand about your game yet. We, we see glimpses of the athleticism. We see glimpses of the shooting that's more consistent, I should say. We see we don't go out and get buckets at certain times. Walk us through your full game and, and what exactly you bring to the team and how much you expect to grow over the next year now. Um, I feel like my game is really just someone that makes plays on both sides of the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. I really feel like I have a lot of versatility. Like I feel like I've shown that my first two years in college just being able to to do whatever the team asks of me. Um, but I feel like I could score the ball. I feel like I could get other players' shots. I feel like um, I'm a pretty good defender. You know, I take the challenge. I want to guard the other teams, you know, best guards. So, And then I just play hard. I feel like I play with a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And then this season coming up, I just feel like um, the glimpses that I've kind of showed in my first two seasons just are going to get amplified. Uh, and that's really all I got to say about it. Just, you know, I'm working every day um, to prove myself right and to, you know, win a lot of games this year. So I got to go a little bit deeper into the Jace Howard posterize because that one went viral. Obviously, everyone saw that video, that posterize. Just take us through what's going through your mind. You're out there in Michigan, a rivalry, a big rivalry, I should say. And you throw down that type of dunk and that atmosphere. And we all know your reaction. You obviously were kind of going crazy right after that. What went through your mind just when that posterize happened? 
Um, I I felt good. I mean, like I feel like I took off from like far. Like I didn't know if I was gonna like make it when I first jumped, but I just kept going, and I luckily was able to make it. So mm-hmm. like, it was a it was a highlight play of the year for sure for me. Is that your favorite play so far in your career? Yeah, pro- probably that play is my favorite play mm-hmm. just because it was at Michigan. So we, I want to go into this team a little bit deeper, though, because I had Rashad Phillips on, obviously a well-respected basketball mind, and he was on last week, and he said his preseason, or who's he, who he thinks is going to win the national championship this year, is you guys. And, and then he elaborated on that a little bit more, and he mentioned that the reason behind that thought is that you guys have the best backcourt in the country, talking about you, AJ, Tyson, and, and Trey and the company. What is? Do you agree with that? Like, what's your thoughts on your guys as a, as a backcourt at Michigan State this year? Uh, I do think we got one of the best backcourts in the country. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I feel like we have the best backcourt in the country, um, mm-hmm. really. But, you know, we got to go prove that. So, you know, that's just where it is right now. But, you know, we got to go prove that um, early on in the season. And that's what our goal is, just as a backcourt group, you know, showing that we're the best backcourt in the country, showing that we got a lot of different versatility and we can really do whatever whatever it, it, we need to do as guards. I need you to take us through this practice time because when you look at this guard group, you guys have the top heavy veterans. Like I guys mentioned you, Tyson, and AJ, but you have these elite young guys too. Trey's a guy that's very talented right now. We, people haven't got to see him much yet. You guys have Fierce coming in. He's a guy that's a top ranked recruit coming in. He's very talented. The list goes on, but this group of guards, like I said, it, it probably is the deepest guard group in the country. What's it just like when you go up in practice and you get a battle against each and every single one of these guys? What is that like? Uh, it's fun, you know. I feel like. I get to go up against, you know, some of the best guards like in the country every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like that just is going to make games easier, like being able to, you know, compete hard against them, you know, um, every single day. When I play somebody else, I just feel like it just is ready to go go at them, you know. So I just feel like it makes things better. So we got to see a lot more last year, but the three of you guys, you, Tyson, and AJ – all three of you guys are more than capable and would be starting point guards likely on any school in the country. It has to, I have to imagine there's some kind of kind of letting go of some pride at times when you look at yourself and say, okay, I know AJ can go do his thing out there at the guard spot. I know Tyson can do it. I'm going to get my opportunities at times at two. How do you guys learn to buy into the system and say, you know, I don't always need to be the guy. It's, I have confidence that AJ can go do his thing. I have confidence that Tyson can go do his thing. And you kind of settle into your role at times knowing that, okay, it's all going to work out. And I don't need to always have the ball in my hands. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, you got to sacrifice uh, sometimes for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the, our greater good is to win, you know. Um, if you could put together a team and, you know, just people happen to be guards, but you got a chance to, you know, do something special, then I feel like all like the, the pride and the sacrificing or the pride and the egos got to go out the window, you know. Mm-hmm. And you just got to kind of play. Like, that's why we all out there. At the same time, I feel like we all just super talented, but we got to be out there at the same time to win. So, and I feel like it just makes you more of a well-rounded player, you know, even like say the next level, like when people get to the next level, like you're not always going to have a ball in your hands all the time or be the star player right away. You know, it's like you just got to be able to play off people sometimes and also be able to, you know, handle your own and do your thing. But I just feel like that makes you versatile. All right, so I mentioned you guys are going into the season as a team that a lot of people believe can be a national champion. And that's significant because the Big Ten has not had a national champion since 2000, and that was you guys in Michigan State. So when you look at that aspect saying that, okay, as for our program, we haven't won in 
23 years now. And as a conference, we haven't won in 23 years, but you guys have a legitimate chance. Like there's no one else in the country I'd say significantly better than you guys. You guys are able, able if not better than every team in the country. What goes through your mind when you think about that? Um, I mean, it definitely crosses our mind. Like that's, that's been the goal since day one, stepping on campus uh, this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we know, we know where the final four is at in Phoenix. So that's just our goal and how we attack everything. Um, and like that, that's been my goal, you know, ever since being in college, like, I just want to, I just want to win and then win at the highest level like that, being a national champion, like that just submits you in legacy forever. So that's what I'm striving for. And that's what I'm working for every day. What will it take for you guys to be 2024 NCAA champions? Uh, I just feel like everybody would have to buy in. Everybody got to continue to get better and just put their best foot forward every day and come ready to work. So for you to be a hometown guy and, and potentially bring home a championship, how big would that be for you? What would that mean to you? Oh, it would mean a lot. You know, I just grew up watching Michigan State, uh, and it was one of my goals to be able to play at Michigan State. So I feel like I checked that out the box. And, then, you know, I, I'm here now, so that's really not the end of my story. I want to uh, keep writing. And to put up a banner here would just mean the world to me. I couldn't even put it into words. When you talk about going on a court every game when you play and the fact that you are representing your hometown, how big is that for you? Uh, it's big just because I know, like, a lot of people I know are always watching because uh, there's a lot of Michigan State fans, you know, that in my family or just my friends. So I know it's always people watching and rooting for me. Um, and it, it just hit a little different when you're playing for the hometown of the school, I feel like. So I know when we first talked about you committing to Michigan State, I think you came on right before, I think actually did a pre-commitment one. You talked about the, being the hometown hero. Has it been everything you've expected? Has it been more than what you expected? Or how much have you just loved that? Uh, it's been what I expected for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like it hasn't been all um, all like rainbows and stuff. Like there's ups and downs sure. in every journey. But I feel like, you know, just the love that we get here, um, you know, and the, I'm just enjoying the journey and the process. Uh, and ultimately what I, you know, end up becoming, but, you know, the journey is the most important part. So I'm just, I'm just loving that part. All right. So I got to get into some of these young guys coming in because you guys have a top ranked recruiting class coming into college. And the first guy I want to get into is Xavier Booker. He was a top 10 ranked type player. How much have you enjoyed playing with him so far? What's your thoughts on him so far in his first few months out there at Michigan State? Uh, I enjoyed playing with him a lot, you know, mm-hmm. um, XB. Um, he's a cool dude. Um, he a lefty, so you know I already I already like him because he a lefty and I'm a lefty. Uh, you know he's super lanky. He can shoot the ball. He just super talented. Like that's what what I could say. He's a super talented. Um, uh, is a hard worker, uh, and I know he's excited to see you know get on the floor. So I just feel like XB, he got a great career uh, ahead of him. So like I said, we have a few guys: you, AJ, Tyson, Malik, that we kind of have an idea about. I think each one of you guys can probably take another jump as well. But has there been any one of, of the many young guys in this program, guys that's coming back for the sophomore season, coming in as freshmen, that have maybe shocked you a little bit? You've seen so far practices and working out and going one-on-one, whatever it might be with them, that you've seen and said, man, I like this guy. He looks really good. He's either improved a lot or he's going to have a big role that maybe not a lot of people are expecting him to have. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say uh, shocked me, you know, because mm-hmm. I just – I've seen him every day uh, since they got here. I, I would say all of them, really, all the sophomores coming back, Mm. Uh, Trey, Jax, uh, Carson, you know, they all been doing their thing. Um, 
you know, I feel like Trey has, has been shooting the ball a lot better uh, this whole summer. Uh, Jackson, you know, he's been cooking. His footwork is, is amazing. Uh, Carson is getting stronger. You know, his touch is getting better. Um, I just feel like everybody brings something different to the table, but all of them been working. So that that's really what I see. Now, a few more things before I let you go. One of the things is that when you talk about this upcoming season for yourself, what would make it a successful or a successful junior season for yourself? Um, what would make it a successful junior season is just first getting the um, getting the team goals. You know, mm-hmm. uh, making sure that we're winning a lot of games. You know, hopefully winning the Big Ten and then carrying that to the Big Ten tournament and then going to the Final Four and winning a championship. Uh, those are the first first goals, and then you know individually, I just feel like you know. Um, making the most of every day, improving every day, you know, trying to make an all Big Ten team, trying to really make a name for myself this year across the country. So um, that's that's just my goal right now. Who are you the most excited to go up against this upcoming season? Uh, it's not one person, just anybody. Anybody we go up against, you know, we're not ducking any smoke. Anybody could get it. So we ready mm-hmm. to play whoever. Um, I don't look past anybody. I don't take nobody lightly. Well, I want to go into your high school a little bit because when we last talked, you were obviously going to Yipsy Prep for a little bit, and then you obviously made the move after Sunrise Christian. So I want to go through your high school a little bit, though, because you made that move. You got to go play on the big stage at Sunrise Christian that season. Take us to that final year and just how much that ended up helping prepare you for your freshman season then at Michigan State. Uh, it really helped me a lot, you know. Uh, just the people at Sunrise, you know, I still talk to them today. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, you know, uh, moving away from home, even though I was farther away from home there than, than I am now, just, you know, Obviously, like being away from home, actually, uh, yeah. you kind of get used to that lifestyle, you know, just taking care of yourself, um, you know, taking care of your schoolwork and then just going to work on the basketball court. So I feel like that prepared me a lot and, you know, helped me to grow up fast. So I know that you guys had that recruiting class and, and Pierce, obviously, he's moved out to Butler now. Imani was originally part of that class. But when you just talk about you deciding to go to Michigan State, Take us through that decision a little bit more, and 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 would you say everything that you want to have happened? Like, would you say it was the right decision you made? Are you happy with everything you decided to do when you commit to Michigan State? Oh yeah, I'm happy. Uh, I feel like you know I'm in a good spot right now, uh, and I'm really just focused on this upcoming year. I'm not trying to look back, and I'm not trying to look forward. I'm just focused on the present right now, um, and I'm just going to do everything in my power to make sure that it's successful. Absolutely, man. Well, my final thing I want to talk to you about is. For the team, when you look at this team, how good do you think you guys can be? And do you guys think that you guys truly have the chance of being the best team in the country when it is all said and done? Uh, yeah, when I look at the team, just from a talent perspective, uh, you know, and experience, I feel like we have a chance um, to, you know, be the best team in the country. But, um, you know, every, when things are on paper, it doesn't always work out until you put the work in, you know. So mm-hmm. you can't just go what's on paper. Like, we got to go out and prove it. So that's what we focused on. Absolutely, man. Well, Jaden, I appreciate you taking time to come on today, my man. I'm excited to see what God's got in store for you this season and go do your thing, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it for real. Of course, man. You're always welcome on, man. God bless. God bless. There are a few headline topics I want to get into today during this segment. The very first thing is we just got news that Cooper Cup has suffered a setback. He's listening only his day to day, so I'm not sure there's too much concern. Obviously, we're still. I'm sure the Rams are what now? About 10-ish days away from making their season debut. But I do want to talk about this because when you look at the LA Rams, Super Bowl champions two years ago, very 
solid and talented team last couple years ago. Expectations to be good again last year, and that, and that obviously blew up. They've lost a few more guys. They really cut off all kinds of things, and it looks more like a – it almost is rebuilding, but I'm not quite sure how to truly evaluate the L.A. Rams this season because rebuilding teams typically don't have a veteran quarterback like Matthew Stafford at the helm of the team, but they do. Veteran teams typically don't have the best defensive player in all the NFL still on the team, nor do they have debatably one of the better wide receivers on their team. The LA Rams have got some talent, but there still are countless, countless, countless holes all throughout the team. But with Cooper Cup getting re-aggravating his injury again, it makes you wonder. He's obviously getting up there in age, and I know he has not played and has not gone through the wear and tear as some other guys have that came into the NFL earlier on. And he also wasn't a star from day one. It took time to grow up and, and grow in the system and become the Cooper Cup that we know him as today. But it makes you wonder, where are the LA Rams going to be this season it's tough to judge them because there are some decent players but there's a lot of holes and so i think when you look at it matthew stafford in my opinion he has had a great career a very 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 talented quarterback without a doubt but that injury he did not look very good last year cooper cup he's has a nagging injury aaron donald's getting up there i do believe he's the best defensive player in the nfl though do not get that mistaken so we'll see what the la rams have have got in store for us this year i'm not too high on them but Cooper Cup, as I mentioned, has officially just been announced that he hasn't had a setback in his injury. He's listed as day-to-day for now. I'm sure there'll be more updates coming out soon, but that's what we got for Cooper Cup. All right, I mentioned in the intro to this show, one of the biggest headlines is what happened last night in women's volleyball. And I'll be 100% honest right now, I never expected to be talking about women's volleyball. But however, the Nebraska women's volleyball team set a record mark, the highest attendance ever for a women's event at 92,000 people and three fans. That is absolutely remarkable, as I mentioned in the intro as well. Anyone that wants to go and watch those videos, the, the walkout, the stands, the, the crowd, the, the roars, it is sensational. I mean, we look at a lot of these Super Bowl events or, or March Madness events, Super Bowl events, uh, whatever it might be, but I'm going to specifically go to basketball in the sense that typically they play in a big stadium, rather that be an NFL stadium of some sort. And you put the court, middle of the field, whatever, and you have people around it. Well, a lot of those NFL stadiums don't fit 90,000 plus people. That is what they did last night. And I just will say, this, the sensational fact about that is that crowd, the the love for the women's team, to have 92,003 people in attendance for a game is absolutely remarkable. And I think it's huge to say this because I know for a long time we've always had the stigma about women's sports. Are they going to be able to continue? And are they going to be able to finally get fans and, and, and pull in more money and, and bring revenue in and so on and so forth? Well, let's just look at this. The fact of the matter is that women's volleyball set a mark for 92,003 people. Now, I'm not a volleyball expert, so I'm not going to get into that, but I don't know how many men's team have had that type of record audience. I, I, I'd have to imagine they haven't, but I'm not going to get into that exact data. We look at just the, the 92,000. That's just a sensational number. But we look at this volleyball event, sensational. We go back to March Madness times, and it's fair to say that maybe the most appealing, no, I'm not going to say maybe, the most box office appealing brand of basketball during March Madness was women's basketball with LSU, Angel Reese, Blasey Johnson, that team, as well as Caitlin Clark in Iowa. And there's obviously other great teams as well. But the traction, the attention, the eyes that, that came upon the, the sport of women's college basketball grew tremendously in, in a very short time span. And so that was something that I think a lot of people looked at and, and with intrigue saying, 
well, this is interesting. They're setting all these records, all these viewership records, all these attendance records, all this, all these big time records are being set back in March. And it was the start of something. Now we weren't we weren't able to say it's officially been established. The branding is there. We'll have to wait till the season to get more extensive data to see how much this women's game has grown in the college collegiate ranks. But we look at this Nebraska game last night. We look at what they did in in March Madness for the women's tournament. And it's, it should be exciting, to be honest, because the fact of the matter is that these are entertaining events. Obviously, people have attention to want to go watch them. And I'll be honest, you could easily make the debate that watching the women's tournament run with LSU and Iowa and Caitlin Clark was probably more entertaining than a lot of the different men's college tournament bracket. And I love men's college basketball. March Madness is incredible. My favorite time of the year. But that's just how attracting, how appealing that brand of basketball was being played between those two teams specifically. And so we'll see what continues to go, but I think it's very, very cool to see just the growth of women's sports. Major props to them. I'm excited to see what guys got in store for the next chapter over the next year to see what all these different sports as they continue to grow, and we'll see if it gets to the professional ranks as well. Now, breaking news as well, early this morning, the Vikings have finally agreed to a long-term extension deal with their traded four tight end from the Detroit Lions last year in the trade deadline, T.J. Hawkinson. We heard rumors that he wants to set, have a record-setting contract that he wants to get done with Minnesota Vikings. Now, he did a little bit of a hold-in, not a hold-out, as we talked about last yesterday with Chris Jones. He's holding out. A hold-in is where a player decides to go and, and still be at practice but not necessarily participate. Therefore, you don't get the fines. Smart financial move, but not all people need to do that. That's what T.J. Hawkinson has been doing, and I think they said he had some kind of illness and a minor injury, whatever it was. Point is, it wasn't true. He was back in practicing. So T.J. Hawkinson resets the tight end market now, becomes the highest paid tight end. He's a young, promising guy. Uh, he he obviously had a great season last year. Looks like he fit in really well with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, but he just signed a four-year, $68.5 million contract. $42.5 million are guaranteed in that contract. Now, the average comes out at $17.125 million to be specific and exact. That is the highest average in NFL history and obviously the highest average currently in the NFL, surpassing Darren Waller, surpassing Travis Kelsey, surpassing George Kittle, surpassing all those guys. He is now the highest paid. And here's what I want to say about this. When we look at this, I haven't gone through too many comments about it, but let's just be honest. Do I think TJ Hawkinson is the best tight end in the NFL? No. Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in the NFL. And then you can look at a debate. Obviously, George Kittle hasn't been healthy the past few years, but just pure talent-wise, I'd take George Kittle. You look at a guy like Darren Waller, he hasn't been healthy either. I think he's going to have a great year for the New York Giants this year. Look good in preseason. Look good with the team in the in the preseason workouts and training camp and whatnot. But T.J. Hawkinson is certainly up there. But he's also younger. But a lot of people look at this and say, oh, this guy, how the heck is he becoming the highest paid player at a position? He's not the best. Yeah, I know. But that's what people don't necessarily understand about the contract game. Contracts are always going to be going up. And if not, that is a problem because it probably probably means that the league is suffering and they're not being able to pay more players. The salary cap's going up. What does that mean? That means that they have more money to spend, which means the players are going to demand more money. It's just a fact of the matter. So him getting in, he didn't get he didn't skyrocket blow out of the water the average earnings just by a little bit. But the fact of the matter is that when we see a lot of these guys, if they are a good player, if they're a cornerstone piece of your team, you pay them, you lock them in. And if they become the highest paid player at that point in time, great. Because guess what's going to happen? In about one or two years from now, more guys are going to get extensions. The next guy's going to reset the market. The next guy and the next guy. And before you look at it, before his contract's up, he's probably going to be somewhere at four, five, six, seven, maybe even eight 
highest paid tight end. Now, obviously, they could restructure the contract and whatnot to give him more money, but that's be in the future. So TJ Hawkinson's locked in with the Minnesota Vikings. Now, I think that their attention has to go 100% on to Justin Jefferson. You've got the best quarter or the best wide receiver of the future is on your team. TJ Hawkinson is locked in. You've got a couple of the pieces locked in, but the foundational best player in, on that team is Justin Jefferson, and they need to give their attention to him. And I think a lot of people look at this too, and, and let's just get contractual base now. A lot of people say, okay, well, Justin Jefferson, he's going to break the market for the wide receiver for the wide receiver earnings. We know he's going to be the highest paid in the NFL today and the highest paid ever. With that being said, though, you must ask yourself, a lot of people would say, well, it's easy. Just go make him the highest paid, done deal. But the question has to be, well, what exactly how high is that going to be? Because when you're Justin Jefferson, if you sign a four-year deal, odds are over the next four years, you're going to be the best wide receiver in the NFL. Jamar Chase is up there. A.J. Brown can ball out. We'll see what a lot of these other guys can do. Marvin Harrison's coming into the league next season. But odds are that, J- that Jet is going to be the best wide receiver in the NFL for the next four years, at least. So therefore, you have to properly price where he's going to be at. How much higher than the record? I think the record's somewhere at $31 million or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Some, it's somewhere up there. Do you put him at 34, 35 maybe million dollars per year? I'm not quite sure, but that's where the tension now must go towards for the Minnesota Vikings. As for another interesting NFL news, that the Patriots claim former Panthers third-round pick just from a year ago, Matt Corral. Here's my thoughts on this. Not a bad pickup. Matt Corral could have some potential. I know a lot of people looked at him as a potential first-round pick going to 2022. And then we saw the whole draft class slide. That was an interesting draft. Kenny Pickett's only guy that ends up becoming a first-round pick. Malik Willis falls. He falls. Desmond Ritter falls. Sam Howell, all these guys, they all fall. He didn't get a play last year due to an injury. It would have been interesting because the Panthers were not very good, but he could have had an opportunity maybe. However, he now is cut from the Panthers, new organization, new coaching staff and whatnot, and the Patriots decided to put in a claim for him. Like I said, I don't have anything against that. He should probably be in the NFL. I wouldn't give up on him. Why not? Take a claim on a third-round pick that potentially had first-round prospects on him. Maybe we'll get to see exactly how talented he is going forward. But for him now, the Patriots, not a bad pickup, like I mentioned. But here's where I'm a little confused. Bailey Zappi was the guy that we were considering just about seven, eight months ago, whatever it was, midseason last year. Could he be the franchise quarterback or at least replace Mac Jones in the starting lineup? So to come to this point today now, and he's – now on the practice squad and you take Matt Corral over him. Interesting. Another guy, Malik Cunningham, undrafted, comes out and he's doing kick and punt returns. He's doing running quarterback, running running wide receiver. One of the most versatile guys you could get out there. He doesn't make the team either. Now, both these guys have been in the system now for Bailey Zappi over a year. Malik Cunningham since he got undrafted and then he decided to sign with the Patriots. They both knew the system. They both look good. But now the one makes the team. And so Matt Corral comes in. And so it, it intrigues me because you had two young guys that I thought looked good. Now, I know I'm not going to say I know better than Bill Belichick. Don't get me wrong. So if he likes Mike, Matt Corral better than these guys, who am I to say anything? But the fact of the matter is when I look at this, I like what I saw from Lee Cunningham. And I like what I saw from Bailey Zappi. So now it makes me wonder where are those two guys going to go. I know Bailey Zappi had other offers to go to other teams. He decided to return to the Patriots on the practice squad. I could have seen him maybe getting picked up somewhere else, but we'll see what happens there. But yes, so now essentially on paper, Matt Corral is a backup quarterback to Mac Jones. So we'll see what ends up unfolding in the New England Patriots system. But 
I do think Mac Jones will be improved. I'm not saying Bay Zappi would have actually replaced him. I still would have had Mac Jones as the starting quarterback. However, that is what we have in store now because now you have Matt Corral in there. Bailey Zappi is almost an afterthought, in my opinion, now. Malik Cunningham, I don't know what he's got in the program in the future of the New England Patriots, but that's where I kind of was a little bit bothered and confused by that, I should say, because I thought you had two young guys that were intriguing enough to me to at least consider being on the roster and then so to go take another young guy and put them in was a little bit confusing to me. But, hey, it's Bill Belichick. I'll let him do what he's going to do. The last topic and headline I want to get into before we get Tyler Perry up on in here is that yesterday, the UFC, NBA, and NFL came out and made a big statement. They wanted to demand faster takedowns of illegal streams. So for those that do not know, I know that a lot of people believe that you can only really watch games on TV. You pay for DirecTV, you pay for whatever it might be, YouTube TV, now all these different things. Well, obviously, there are a lot of illegal streams that my generation has definitely taken part of and watching these UFC events, watching boxing, watching NBA, watching NFL, watching MLB, whatever it might be, illegally. And it's just through different streaming sources and whatnot. So a lot of people might say, well, hey, it's still views, it's still this, that, and the third. No, it's not. It's free. The NFL, NBA, MLB, UFC, et cetera, et cetera, did not make money off that. And it has reflected negatively towards the views. It's misconstrued because a lot of people look at, well, let's see what the numbers are and the ratings are for all these different games and stuff going on right now. Those That data is really not accurate. Uh, we see, first of all, one aspect why it's not accurate is because globally, when we talk about the NBA, the vast majority of viewership comes from China and we don't have that data and that does not impact the American data is all that we get. And same thing with international stuff. So we never really know the full data of who's all watching games, but then you add in this illegal streaming element. It's costing them billions of dollars, billions of dollars. They both, they all talked about them. That's why they're making a bold stand saying, we want change to occur and we want to change it to occur quickly. In fact, like I said, the demand that is faster takedowns. Now there are countless sites and sources that you can go get illegal streaming stuff on, but the fact of the matter is that it is hurting these professional leagues and, and these t- people from making money. But I will suppose this one aspect. I know inflation is going on in America and this world. It's skyrocketing, sure. But let's be honest, some of these prices, man, the UFC games, the, the fights, the boxing matches, the tickets, Sunday tickets, the NBA stuff, it is not cheap. And a lot of people, let's be honest, cannot afford it. These prices are skyrocketing and not a lot of people can afford it. But hey, these are entertainment sources that people appreciate, love, and are fans of. So when those situations occur, people are going to use these other outlets and streaming sources to go and fill those needs and fill what they want to get. Is it right? Probably not. But that's what's happening. No, I don't know if it's going to fix it, but hey, if, if they decide to drop prices, that would be interesting to see what happens. However, this is the dilemma that currently faces these major league programs, and we'll see how they decide to combat it because ultimately, I don't know what exactly you do to eliminate it. I know there's constantly people sourcing stuff, and, and, and if you go put on Facebook TV or whatever it might be, a, a fight or a game, it gets taken down pretty quickly. But I don't know how you're going to completely restrict it because there are countless websites, there's countless social media pages. I don't know how much quicker you can really get. So I think feel like this is more just a stance and a statement that these three big brands of the NBA, the NFL, and the UFC came together and said, let's make a stance, let's make it known, and let's go take action. But I don't really know what action can actually be occurred and actually have out and carried out. So we'll see what ends up happening with that aspect. But it is interesting to see what they've all come out and done and and we'll see what actually progresses and if anything ever does happen 
legal wise, if they end up restricting and, and making a heavier um, monitoring system, what occurs, maybe even heck, maybe prices drop and that would be amazing to see as well. So I'm not sure what's exactly gonna occur there, but we'll see what happens there. I've got one of the top transfers in the entire country about ready to join me. He's a great player, but let's just be honest. He's one of the best winners in college basketball. He doesn't do anything but win games. He's a great player, a great guard, and he's going to be one of the guys now in charge of continuing the success that Coach Jerome Tang and company have built at Kansas State. And so with that being said, it's a blessing to be able to welcome on Kansas State guard Tyler Perry. Tyler, how are you doing today, man? I'm good. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely, man. You always welcome on. Well, I want to get into one thing first, because you guys just recently got back from a unique trip, not a trip that many people get to take in their lives, and that was to go out to Israel, Abu Dhabi as well. You got to walk us through that, though, because I know you're posting some pictures out there. We saw clips from all the different players and coaching staff. It's just, It's got to be a special trip. So just walk us through what that experience was like for yourself. It was beautiful. Um, you know, you only get to see things like that in books and movies mm. and um it's it's not too many times that you actually get to experience like that something like that in person, and um, just to be able to have our feet in a holy place like that, mm. it was uh we didn't have enough time to soak it in, and yeah. um the people are amazing over there and the way they believe in God and the believe in their culture and their religion it's like it really makes you question like am I really a believer like do I really put the work in, and um mm. it was it was so much fun uh those are memories that I'll be able to take for for generations and so. Uh, the biggest thing was just uh, being able to gel and get to understand my teammates and coaches a little bit more because um, we've all had a crazy busy summer. And so to be over there and, you know, really be together and do things together, man, it was it was a lot of fun. I know that there's constantly countless things that, like you said, you could have experienced and could have had an opportunity to do if you guys were out there longer. But you just get to have the aspect that you mentioned. You got to go walk around the places that we read about in the Bible. We get You got to go experience the places that Jesus once walked. What did that mean to you? I know you're a believer, so you got to take us through that a little bit. Just get to be able to soak in that that spiritual aspect. What was that like for yourself? Uh, it was huge. Uh, like I said, it's easy to say we're believers and easy to be like we're, we're in the Word, but then being around people who actually like are seriously in it, take it every day, and, you know, dedicate their lives to that, it really makes you think, like, I need to be better. And so um, just being able to touch places like where Jesus was born and, mm. you know, where he was crucified and walk the steps he walked to his crucifixion. Um, we didn't get to see the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, I was I was upset about that one. But mm. um, it really, like, really opened my eyes to a lot of different things that, you know, there's a lot of things out in the world in life, period, that, that are bigger than me. And so... Um, it's not just, it wasn't just my religion that got helped, but just who I am as a person. And um, just being able to learn how to grow my faith from learning from them and the different things they believe in and how they believe in and the different things they do to grow closer to him. And so it, it was really eye-opening and really touching. So if you got to give us your three biggest takeaways or three favorite experiences that you had out there, what would they be? Uh, Number one is probably going to be the sand dunes. Uh, right up there at the end, getting on the sand dunes and the camels. Mm. Um, I never thought I'd be on a camel. Like I'm, I'm from a small country town, so I've been on a horse. But being on a camel was crazy. Like it was, it was wild actually being on a camel. They're much bigger than horses. Um, the Dead Sea was amazing. Like the Dead Sea was was crazy. Um, I just said this yesterday in the interview that 
I couldn't believe that it was actually able to float our assistant coach, Jareem Dowling. Like, <laughs> it's, it's real. Like, it's a real thing. Like, it actually, like, it doesn't matter who you are. Like, it's going to float. And when he floated in there, I was like, oh, anybody can get in there. <laughs> but, yeah. But, and then, uh, like, everybody was covered in mud and putting it in their hair and tanging them was putting it in their hair. Like, it was wild. Um, and then I'm saying number three was probably the hotel, our last hotel in Abu Dhabi. Five star, and then we stayed where Team USA was at, like mm-hmm. five star. It was it was wild. So I saw a picture that was posted. Uh, I forgot who exactly posted, but it was Coach Drum Tank talking to Grant Hill, obviously the new president of Team USA basketball. Did you guys get to interact with the team at all? Did you guys get to go potentially watch a practice or, or talk with them at all, and just be able to be in the around some guys that are some of the best players in the NBA today? Yeah, so we got to actually go sit in there practice for about 20 minutes. Uh, we okay. had a game later that day, so we couldn't stay too long. But um, we got to sit there for about 20 minutes and watch them, like, go through their walkthrough or whatever. And so even though they weren't, like, going fast and doing much, like, just to see how those guys talk and how they carry themselves out there on the floor, like, on that level, like, it's just blessed to be in that moment. And um, we didn't get to interact with them much. I got to talk to Bobby Portis a little bit um, mm-hmm. just because, you know, that's – hometown cooking we know each other and um i didn't get to talk to austin uh we played each other in high school you know so it would have been good to rap with him but i didn't get a chance to do that mm-hmm. um but yeah just just being able to be in their presence and not just the players but the legends that were in there um steve kerr and tyrone lou and eric spolcher like just to be in front of them and grand hill it's just it was amazing to just be in that space not like a lot of people don't ever get to see that in their lives so yeah. Just to be able to be there in that moment was was crazy. Right, so I want to get a little bit deeper into the, the faith aspect for you because you are joining a program that has a head coach that is probably, if not the most bold, outspoken believer. And I know there's quite a few other coaches that are believers, and there's a few others too that are outspoken. I know Scott Drew's obviously up there as well, both of him and his brother as well. But when you just get to enjoy and have a coach that you know shares the same beliefs as you, that, that believes in – and Jesus that believes in and gets to kind of mentor you in that aspect. And then on top of that, you get to go through this experience out there in Israel with Coach Jerome Tang. What did that mean to you? And what has that been like so far for yourself? He's like a real pastor. Like people don't mm-hmm. understand that. Like Tang is like a pastor. Like, like we went to um I forgot which coaching staff's house we went to not too long ago to eat as a team. Mm-hmm. And like Tane came in there and he gave his, you know, song of the year and his word of the year. Like, you know, he got into his word and like when he's preaching the word and trying to break something down to us, like it's not church, but like he's trying to explain some, teach us yeah. a lesson through word. Like he's like a real pastor. Like mm. it's crazy. Like you really like are sitting there and like you dead locked on him. Like he makes you lock in because like he really knows like he's really into the word. And yeah. so it's easy to gravitate towards him because, you know, anybody could be like, put your heart into something and um, you should you should um, believe in this or go about this this way or, you know, wholeheartedly feel this way. But like when you really see somebody really taking action and, and walking that walk every day, like it's mm. easy to be like, I have nothing but respect for this man. And it, it, it just makes me want to go, you know, battle the Romans for him every day because of that. Like that's how much I respect him is like, you know, I'm going I'm going to lay everything out there for him, you know, just because of what he's doing off the court, not even what the bonus that I get to learn from him every day on the floor. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's it's easy to just be like to just sit there and be in awe of him sometimes just because of the way he carries himself.
I know there's I know there's also one other aspect. I know we were talking, I was talking with Coach Drum Tang a little bit ago about it. And it's unique because I think a lot of people that are believers kind of experience this aspect that well, obviously none of us are perfect, but a lot of us will say, okay, we believe in Jesus. We we are Christians, whatever, but not a lot of us always go forth and live it out. And so he's someone that I feel like, while he is one heck of a basketball coach, and we're gonna get into that in a little bit, he truly is a guy that puts his faith first, that puts Jesus first. And and first and foremost, he's going to be somebody that helps minister and helps actually grow young men, grow guys. Like that's his actual first priority as as his job. And it almost is like he takes coaching secondary in a certain sense. So when you talk about having a coach that does that to that extent, what is it like being around him in that aspect? Um, like I said, it's it's easy for people to walk into their office every day and just do their basketball job. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy for him to come. It would be easy for him to come up here eight hours a day or whatever, how long, and just focus on plays, on who has a basketball team, and, and, and that be it, and him go home to his wife. Yeah. And Tang is, like, actually invested in who we are as people because he knows, like, he only gets us, some of us for four years, some of us for a year, some of us for two. And so, mm-hmm. like, he knows he has a shorter bit of time, like, to make this thing work for us off the floor. You know, yeah. basketball is going to be basketball at the end of the day. Like, you know, we'll figure out the X's and O's as time goes on. But it's only one in a lifetime where you get to be around not only just Tang, but the whole staff of a group of people like this who are really invested in who you are after you're done here. And um, just, I've only been here a short amount of time and I already know, like once I'm done, like these are guys that I'll talk on the phone every other day when I leave. And so um, again, it's just a testament to who they all are as a staff, not just Tang. And, you know, that's just a credit to him and who he hired. And it, mm-hmm. and I think it just goes, you know, hand in hand with each other. And like I said, a lot of, a lot of coaches out here, you know, they, they talk about how they want to be good guys and they talk about, yeah. um, you know, their plans to, to seek out the, um, the spiritual aspect of it and, you know, try to put that into their program and, you know, install that in their players of, you know, being a good person, showing up on time. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Tang does that through his preachings. And so, like I said, a lot of guys try to walk that, but, and talk that and walk that, but he really does it. And so it's yeah. like, that is so easy to respect of respecting because of it. Can you take us through this coaching staff? Because when we look from the outside looking in, it has to be, it looks like one of the most fun locker rooms. It looks like one of the most energetic coaching staffs. You know, there's a couple of coaches that come to mind. I think we look at Arkansas. They are very good on social media. We see a lot of stuff that they do. Coach Jerome Tang came in in one year and he made this look like one of the most fun atmospheres you could possibly join. Like, I think anyone that watches the clip of, of either the locker room, March Madness, even the little baby song going on, whether that just be on or off the court, like, you almost feel like you want to go on them, become a player on that Kansas State team. And, and I know one coach specifically, Coach Dream, you were with him for a little bit off there at North Texas. You've known him for a while. But when you just see this whole coaching staff, how fun truly is it to be in that situation, to be on that team and just being involved with all those coaches. I wish every kid could be in this position to just be around them every day. Like I've been in situations where, you know, I've, I've, let me not even go there. Um, again, it's, it's, it makes you enjoy coming to practice, coming Mm. to getting ready for, to go to battle, getting ready to go get on the plane getting ready to go to team dinner, team breakfast, like, because you're going to get, it's not sometimes with them. It's never, it's never an on and off switch with them. 
they're every day they're gonna give you exactly what you know they told you they were gonna give you in the recruiting process. Pause. But like they they really like are invested in you and like they're gonna show up and be who they are. And that's one thing that Tang preaches all the time to not only us but to his staff. Like that's one of the things Reem told me. He was like Tang said like just be you. And um, not only Jareem, but, you know, Jared Hollis, who just came over with me from North Texas, mm-hmm. uh, one of our GAs, uh, one of the first things they said was, be you. Like, no, don't try to come in here being somebody else. Be you. And that's what they want. That's what they want the culture about. They don't want us to come in here being anybody else or trying to fit this criteria or fit into this criteria. Like, they're genuinely saying, like, we're going to be ourselves. And um, we're going to learn, you know, because you got to learn over the time, you know, how to whatever maneuver but at the end of the day like your your habits that you do every day are going to come out and they're such good people it shows and it's not and and good things happen to good people and I think that's why you know Tang and the rest of his staff has been so successful so you're going through this recruiting process and uh, if I'm not mistaken the final four comes down to Kansas State Florida Texas Tech who was where your was where your old former coach is now at coach Greg McCaslin and then Ole Miss as well you had these four schools and, and you're a heavy recruited player. You would have been likely a starter and one of the go-to guys wherever you went. What was it about Kansas State? Why did you choose them over those other three schools? At the end of the day, it was um Dream Dallin and and, mm. and Jerome Tang. Uh I couldn't put it, I couldn't I wish I could give you this big story about this did this, but honestly, um I was I was very high on Florida. Uh this first mm. time I'm telling somebody this outside of the staff. I was very, very, very high on Florida. Um, Real big shout out to that staff. They did a very good job of recruiting me. And um, I felt like they had a very good plan for me. But it was just when I got to Manhattan, the love I felt as soon as I got off that plane, from the time I got off till I left, I was like, it it was just like, this is where I need to be for my Mm -hmm. last year in college basketball. Like, and and one of the biggest things was I wanted to have fun and enjoy my last year. Mm -hmm. And, um, I felt like here was the perfect place to do it. And again, while being myself. Yeah. And so those two really, really pushed me over the edge. And then Reem also told me he wasn't letting me leave. So uh, <laughs> Reem told me I didn't have a choice. So uh, yeah, it was them two, man. And then, yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely just, I, I wish I could give you this big story, but Dream, Dream Dallin and Jerome Tang really like, you know, and maybe, and maybe I knew Jared Hollis was coming too. <laughs> so this is an interesting place because Kansas State historically has not been this legendary school, right? And, and in Florida, obviously, they have had the championship banners. You could have walked in the stadium, you see the championships, you see the long list of of great NBA players. Kansas State hasn't had that much success before. They've had certain players, they've had certain years, but it hasn't been continuous success. And right. so I know f- when you go as a recruit, a lot of recruits like to say, Oh, I want to go play for a school that's got all these championships. I want to go play for a school that, like Allen Fieldhouse or Chapel Hill or, or whatever it might be. But Coach Drum Tang is coming in here, and and he doesn't have all this history behind him. So how does he pull in a crew? Like, what's his approach to you? And and as the whole staff, I guess, as a whole, to try getting guys to say, you know what, maybe we don't have the history right now, but we're going to build that history and we're going to make history together, pretty much. Well, one of the biggest things Tang was saying was that we're going to win now. Um, mm. I know a lot of programs are like, and that was one of the biggest things in my recruiting process was I told, I was open with every college coach about this. was like, I'm not trying to come into a rebuilding situation. Um, 
it's time to win now. I've never been to the NCAA tournament. So it was like, I, that was the biggest thing was, was the first thing I told him was like NCAA tournament and then the final four. And Tang looked me in my eyes on my recruiting trip and in the office the day I was leaving, it was like, excuse me, it was like, we're going to go to Phoenix either with you or without you. And, you know, he was the only coach to tell me that in our, my recruiting process. And, and I, I really – he meant it when he said it. He said, we're going to Phoenix with or without you. He's like, I'm, I'm going to go find a point guard who's going to lead me to Phoenix. And and I know he really meant it. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, that's going to be me. So at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, it was that. It was just like that drive and determination. And, like, when he says that in the media, like, he really means it. Like, that's what he preaches every day. It was like, we got to box out to get to Phoenix. We got to mm-hmm. show up on time to get to Phoenix. Like we have to lift to get to Phoenix. Like that's what it's, that's what the biggest thing is about. And, you know, when you got that type of drive and then you get all the same guys on the same page, like it's, it's hard to not like chase that goal and want that because mm-hmm. if you got the head man, head of the snake that wants it, like it's easy to trickle down the line. Well, I'm not sure they could have got a point guard likes to win more than you because Let's just get to the numbers. Now, first of all, yes, you know how to play basketball at a high level. You're great, incredible, shooting on the top. All the stuff on the court's great. But the fact of the matter is that what matters in basketball is, is if you get those W's or those L's, and right. we look at your college career, 25 losses in four years. We've had programs in college basketball last year that had 25 losses in one season. And I'm not going to necessarily name some of the schools, but there were some schools that did not have pretty good seasons last year. You've had 25 in all of your college career so far. That's not easy to do. That is a success, and, and that goes to a testament of you. Obviously, we've seen – it's been different roles each time. Obviously, you've had Juco roles. You've had a six-man role. You had a, being the go-to guy all game long last season in North Texas. What is it about you that just goes out there and some way, in some shape or form, you find a way to get the W pretty much every game you play in? Um, I just want to win at the end of the day. Like you said, you hit on it, man. At the, at the end of the day, the biggest thing is winning. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody is remembered for scoring 30 points and, and averaging 30 points and having 20, 25 L's on their record that year. <laughs> um, so when I was younger, don't get me wrong, I got caught up in the, if I didn't play well, I'm still upset that we won, whatever the case may be. But as I grew older, um, you know, I still had times where it bothered me, but at the end of the day, like I want a ring on my finger. And so, mm-hmm. um, I like my hand feeling heavy. And so uh, the biggest thing was always just, like, win at all costs. And um, I think it comes from a competitive standpoint of, you know, getting beat up by my brothers when I was younger. I got mm-hmm. tired of losing at a, a very, very early age. Uh, they they would not allow me to win. And so, like, from then on, it was like, you know, maybe I could blame them. Everybody has <laughs> to pay. And so, uh, you know, the biggest thing is just is continuing to win. Like, if I'm not known for anything else, like, I, I don't want anybody to be like, well, you know, he's a good player, but he can't finish the job. Or he's a good player, but he can't win. Like, say what you want. My height, whatever, not athletic enough, whatever you want to say, say what you want. But, you know, I've always felt like if on any on any team, on any given night, in any given situation, like, you know, we have a chance just because I just feel like I bring a winning culture. Mm-hmm. And um, at the end of the day, like, I care about those next to me because uh, off the court also. And so um, – it's easy to it's easy to pretend pretend for so long, but that, I think that catches up to you. But I genuinely care about those people, those fourteen guys next to me. So I couldn't find too much stuff in terms of your wins and losses prior to about I think it was your junior year of high school. 
have you always won? Like, like I don't know if you're playing with YMCA ball, or whatever might have been AU, whatever. Like, has winning always been in your DNA? Have you always been able to win a high level, or did that start happening more towards high school, later years, and then obviously throughout your college career? No, I've 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 always been a winner. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, the only thing I never won was a state championship in high school. Um, mm. My last three years in high school, though, I got beat in the final. I got beat by the state champions in the final four. Um, but um, I've won. I've I've always won. I my eighth grade year, I won my junior high regional championship. Ninth grade was ninth grade. My ninth grade year in high school. My first year in high school was the only year I did not. I wasn't. It was a struggle. Mm-hmm. That's a different story for a different time. But yeah, that was the <laughs> only year. Only year of my life where I really, really struggled. Like in AAU for like for like three years in a row from like fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Like we only lost like ten games in AAU. So it was like mm. um, I've always prided myself on that. Like that was always the biggest thing to me. It was like ain't nobody gonna say I'm a loser. Mm-hmm. Well, you coming out of high school, you had to take a JUCO route. This past recruiting process was a lot different for yourself because you had all the schools in the country pretty much wanting you. So that's obviously a big change over the course of what, three, four or five years or whatnot. When you were leaving high school and you had to go to JUCO route, did you expect or even imagine or believe that not only would you become a Division I player someday, but you're going to be a guy that the University of Florida, Kansas State, Texas Tech, Ole Miss, the list goes on, was going to want you to not just come be on the team, but to be one, if not the go-to guys for the team? Absolutely not. Uh, I knew I, w- I, I always felt I was good enough to play Division One, and I always felt like one day I'll be at a Division One. but I'm thinking small school. Like, you know, I've always felt like I've been good at evaluating myself, and I'm, you know, at the time of coming out of high school, I'm really thinking any school at that point, but I'm thinking small school coming out of my first year out of JUCO and then even my second year, you know, I was thinking like maybe high major, but, um, you know, I'm thinking low major, mid major. And, you know, that's what I felt about myself, honestly. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. a knock on myself. It's just like, you know, I don't get me wrong. I I tried to work harder than anybody around me, but it was just like, I felt like, you know, at the time, like, okay, I'm not being recruited by these high majors. So maybe, you know, I'm just a mid major, low major player. But never in my wildest dreams did I think, like, I was going to be the go-to guy at, at any high major or, you know, whatever the case may be, sought at, at, at any high major. I wanted it, mm-hmm. but I didn't think it was going to ever be a reality. And I actually told my old JUCO coach this, um, um, Abdul Alusasi, who's at uh, Indian Hills now, I told him when I first got here, I was like, the first two weeks I was here, I was like, I really cannot believe like I'm on campus here right now. Like, I can't believe I'm in the Big 12. And I actually sent that out to a couple of my old coaches and they was just like, well, it's real. Like, you need to stop acting like, you know what I'm saying? You need to stop acting like you don't belong. And because um, for the longest, man, like it, it was really a not a culture shock, but it was a shock to be here. Mm. So when did you think you could be that? Was it? Has it maybe not even said in yet the fact that you've been at this level yet? Or when did you start really feeling that, you know, I can go out there and I know that I truly am one of the best players whenever I step on a court. At least you can truly legitimately believe that now and that you have a chance of playing wherever you really want to go play at. Uh, once we got back from Israel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was – It was. I went into that trip kind of like questioning myself kind of. was like how good are you really are. And um, it was really like uh, I need to figure out myself. Cause I always felt like I was good, but you know, I still have a ton of work to do now, 
but I just I really had to question myself on you've never really played pros, you know, consistently or whatever. And don't get me wrong, in Conference USA, we obviously have pros, as mm -hmm. we all seen this past year. But it was just like now you finally get a chance to be with other really good players, um, one through five, and you're playing against high, high-level talent. And yeah. so um, I definitely could have played a whole lot better over there. But going back and um, watching film and then being in that moment, I kind of got like, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So how much better do you think you could play? Because I was looking at some of the stats. What was it? Nine threes, I think, you had a game. You had a couple of games of 30-plus points. So how much better could you really have played, though? Um, Just just little things you can clean up <laughs> that you may not yeah. see when you're watching the game and you go back mm -hmm. and watch it, that, that they may try to take away in the Big 12 and um and in tournament time. So it's like yeah. definitely things you can clean up. And, sure. Yeah, film, film does a lot. <laughs> All right, so I want to go a little bit deeper into some of your college career so far. You you go out to JUCO, and that's not an easy situation for a lot of guys. People that cover or look at JUCO basketball know that it's not easy. It's it's a tough type of game. It's where you really have to get a dog mentality type of situation. You're going to have to go through ups and downs. It's not the luxury five-star hotel. You're not going to be staying at that like you just did for Kansas State. You're not going to be staying in these custom nice dorms. and not playing in front of these big old stadiums. It's a much different situation. So – what was it like playing JUCO basketball, and how is that? How did that help grow you into who you are today? Now, uh, JUCO was amazing. I don't, hmm. I don't know what why people have so much against JUCO. Yeah. I get it; it's not technical and broken down in so many possessions or whatever because it's so up and down. But mm -hmm. JUCO was one of the funnest times I've ever had playing basketball because, like, you really just out there hooping, and um, I had some of the best teammates my two years in JUCO. Like, they made. They made it so fun for me. And I think that's why I enjoy hooping so much in Juco was because of the people I had around me. Like, if I'd have been anywhere else in any situation, I might have – we'll probably be talking about a completely different situation right now. Mm -hmm. But just being able to have those type of teammates around me and the coaching staff that I had to, to push me to be where I'm at today and, you know, push me at that time of my life, they, they made the game so much more fun for me. And um, but man, JUCO is tough, man. Like that's is people are trying to get out. Like they trying to come at your neck every night, and your scholarship could be theirs. And, yeah. Um, and that's a real thing, and like people know that. I went into the national tournament, and my second game into the national tournament, dudes was like, um, why would North Texas take you? And and it's like a real thing. Like dudes really want. Your scholarship, they want the scholarship that they felt like they supposed to have. And not only do your the competition want it, your teammates want it. And yeah. which they should. And you know what I'm saying? So it's an everyday battle in practice. And um and I essentially I think that's why we ended up winning a national championship my second year because we fought so hard in practice. Like practice was our games and um and nothing came easy and like we knew that and we couldn't be recruited at the time either like coaches weren't able to come out due to COVID so it was like nobody was in that practice gym but we were in there playing like scrimmages like it was game seven and I really mean that like my teammate that's a testament to all of them mm -hmm. and um just to be able to push each other to be you know to where we are today and so man Juco is I would do it all over again if I could. All right, so you head out of JUCO and you go to North Texas then, and you end up having a first season where you are a sixth man. You have sixth man of the year. You have an incredible team that year as well. But why originally did you want to go to North Texas? Like, what was it about there that you decided to go play at North Texas? Um, I couldn't take visits. 
Um, mm. all, I had to do all virtual. And so, um, Maddie B, um, shout out to Maddie B. He's in Lubbock now. Uh, he really, you know, kind of did it for me. I had to really trust somebody. And Jay Herkerman, my JUCO coach at Coffeeville, really trusted Maddie B. And, you know, I had to, I'm really big on trusting those that I can believe in. And um, when Hurt vouched for him, and I kind of got a great feeling for Maddie B. Um, and then the biggest thing, man, was um, North Texas had an assistant coach, Coach Hag, passed during my recruiting process. Mm -hmm. um, I'll never forget it. He passed. The day I was supposed to get on Zoom with him, he passed that morning, you know, trying to get back to take his daughters to school in a car crash. Yeah. And um, rest in peace to him. And Matty B still calls me hours later and was like, listen, like, this, this, this happened. But I just want you to know, like, we're still all in. And he, and he couldn't even get his words out. Like, he broke down mm -hmm. while he was trying to tell me. And right then and there, I was like, this is my guy. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going with him. And, yeah. you know, that kind of did it for me. It was just like, again, I had to, to be able to get on the phone, still get on the phone, and they going through that to think about me in that situation. It was just like, yeah, yeah, this is somebody I can really, like, rock out with. So your first year, you embrace a six-man role. That's something that I know is valuable. We see in the NBA. We see the Lou Williams guys, the Jamal Crawfords. We see those guys that take on those roles. But at the end of the day, I know a lot of guys, it's tough to take on that role. A lot of, Everyone wants to be the starter. But right. you decided to say, you know what, I'm going to come off the bench. I'm willing to sacrifice for the team. And, and you guys did win a lot of games, so it worked. And you win six men of the year. And you still, Bailey might have been even the best player on that team statistical-wise. But what in your mindset allowed you to say, you know what, I don't need to start. I'm willing to come off the bench. And, I, and I'm going to take on the sacrifice and, and take on the six-man role this year. Well, Matt came to me um, after our second game, after the Buffalo game, I want to say what. No. Yeah. Maybe after the Buffalo game. Yeah, after the Buffalo game, I asked me, it was like, do you do you feel like you, you should start? Like, do you think you need to? And um, at that point, you know, we were one and one. We had just lost, but I felt like our starting five really gelled together because they were comfortable with each other. They had been together for a year. And um, I knew J.J. Mary was the glue to our team, him and Thomas Bell, and I knew they needed to be on the floor together at the beginning of the game. And so um, – I was just like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't really about me starting at that point because, you know, I played starter minutes. So it wasn't really about me starting or about me, you know, it wasn't about my ego at the time. It was about the team at the end of the day. And I definitely could have let my ego get in the way and say, like, yes, put me in the starting line or whatever the case may be. But um, I just knew that five gelled really, really good together. And, um, and we just needed a spark off the bench. And, you know, Mac ended, essentially ended up saying that to me. And I was like, I got you. And so it allowed me to flourish and allowed me to figure out a lot of different things about my game. And, um, you know, obviously it probably caught a lot of people off guard bringing some, a 5'11 point guard off the bench <laughs> to score. So so you mentioned your 5'11". I know you always talked about it before. You don't necessarily have a lot of height advantages in games. And I know that the program you're coming into – you're not as small as Marquise Noel was, per se, but you still don't necessarily have the height advantage a lot. Like That's not going to be something that's going to be your strong suit going to a lot of games. How have you learned to adjust to that? How have you learned to be a guy that, you know, a lot of the time you're going to be smaller than the other guy you're going against. How do you get through that, and how do you play through and to become and produce at the level that you do? Because David slayed Goliath. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. nah, at the end of the day, uh, 
it's just about you know what's inside, and I, I feel like I got one. I got one of the biggest hearts in the country, and I, and I really mean that. And I don't believe there's when I step between those those lines at 94 feet, um, there's not a man on that floor that ble- that that doesn't bleed like I do, and you know I truly believe that. And there's not a man that can't fall like I can, and so um, I've never. It's never really bothered me from the time I was young. I've always been smaller than everybody, and so it's never been. I've never been on a team where I've been the biggest guy and I've never played against anybody where I've been the biggest guy on the floor. So that's never bothered me. It's, if anything, you know, I, I use it to my advantage. And some people say I have little man syndrome and I don't think so. But, you know, yeah, some of my teammates, they may say that. But, you know, I, I genuinely believe, like, um, I don't care how big you are, how fast you are, how tall you are at the end of the day. Like, when them lights turn on and that ref throws that ball up, like, you um, all the the height, the statistics, the the five stars, all that 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 can't save you. You got to show mm-hmm. me. So, so you're an NIT champion now. And anyone that watched that tournament, and, and specifically let's get into the game against UAB, that was quite the ending of a game right there. You put on a display, and, and once again talking about the winning winning aspect of yourself. You took over, and you're going up against a guy that was one of the top scorers in the entire country, and Jelly Walker. Now with the Dallas Mavericks, if I'm not mistaken. You guys go back and forth, and you hit some some tough, tough shots going down the stretch there. You got to walk us through that because you know that this is a chance to win a championship. You're going against another guy that is right up there in terms of the CUSA top players that season, and you decide to completely take over game, hit some ridiculous shots, take over, and, and, and you help you lead your team to a championship. What was the ending of that game like for yourself? Um, The ending of the championship game? Yeah. Uh. I wish I could just like, I wish I could have a virtual reality to go replay that over and over again. Like, cause you don't get to soak it in enough. Like you don't get to be in that moment enough. Yeah. And shout out to Jordan, man. Um, that's my dog. You know, um, you know, we got really close actually after that. Um, mm. and, um, yeah, like we really we communicated a whole lot more this summer. You know, congratulations to him on you know signing his contract, and I think he's gonna do great things in Dallas. And I hope he has a long pro career. Um, but now nah, the biggest thing was is just like I had to get my payback. Uh, I don't know if y'all got to see the the Conference USA tournament game. Um, yeah. And Jordan Jordan was on a mission that night, and um, you know hats off to him. And I've said it a thousand times. He um he was the better player that night in the conference um tournament. And um, he had a little chip on his shoulder about the Player of the Year award, uh, which he should. And um, you know, he was on a mission that night, and um, it, that he still it felt like he took something from me that night. Um, he took a chance at the NCAA tournament from me and a and a conference championship. And I knew at the end of that year, that team did not want to leave that season without some type of championship, some type of ring. And so we were all like, we're gonna play, like we're gonna we're gonna do this thing. And so getting to that championship game, um, you know, all X's and O's go out the window at that point with with five minutes to go. And you, you put the ball in your best player's hands at the end of the day. And um, people don't understand, like, Aaron Scott made some huge shots in that game. Like, people for, tend to forget that. Mm-hmm. But um, it was just a, it was the battle of the little guards, man. And, you know, I think we put on one of the best shows in the country last year, if you ask me. Um, I, I wish everybody would have got to tune into that game because I think it was high-level basketball. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just like I, I needed my lick back. And 
what better way to go out in my UNT uniform on, with my last shot over him for the championship. And so I feel like Jordan in that, in that jazz ring. <laughs> All right. So you're at Kansas state now. And I mentioned earlier that this is a program that hasn't had historical success. They were about middle of the pack, whatever you want to call it, big 12 team, which isn't bad. Obviously the big 12 is the best conference for basketball in the country, but you go here now and, and in one year, Coach Jerome Tang's taken this program from a program that was, like I said, where they were at to now being a team that people look at and say, they're right up there with the best of them. They're going to be competing right. with Kansas. They're going to be competing with with all the other top schools in the country, Texas, whatever it might be. What are your expectations now as you head into this, this final year of college basketball for yourself with the spotlight of being at Kansas State, being in the Big 12 now? What's your expectations for this season? Could you imagine um, a conference championship, national championship, NIT championship, then a national championship? Like, mm. um, that's that's my dream. That's my goal. Um, at the end of the day, it's a long journey to get there. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for the journey. Uh, the ending thing at the end, when all this is said and done, and we hosting up that trophy in Phoenix, that'll be beautiful, and that'll be something we never forget. But I'm just so excited for this last journey, and what's gonna come with it, and what all I got to do to get there. And that's what I think a lot of people tend to take for granted is the journey of it. And, you know, the journey is the best part uh, because now you have something to look back on and be like, like, look what I went through. Look what I, what I had to go yeah. through to get to this moment. And so I'm, I'm excited for the journey, man. Instead of, you know, the ending is always great. Ending is always beautiful, but the journey to get there is the most amazing part because now you get to sit, kick your feet up and be like, look what I what I had to go through to get here. So I think the ceiling for this team is is a national championship and I and I really mean that. And um I think we have the personnel to do it. We have the people to do it and we for sure have the coaches to do it. So um that's what I'm looking forward to and um, you know, I think we got a, a really, really good chance. So you said about midway through that when we hold up the national championship trophy. So I'm I'm just asking though, is this something that you believe that it's not just a, a, a dream or something, but you truly believe and you think that Kansas State not only could but but will win the national championship this year? I definitely I definitely definitely don't I, I like to speak things into existence mm-hmm. and um I'm not finna sit here and say I'm calling it or anything like that. But <laughs> yeah, I definitely see us winning a national championship and um I wouldn't just be saying that um as you know, like when I as, as being from somebody who who wins um, I've been on teams where I've been, eh, but I truly believe this team has the personnel to do it um, just because of the grit, the talent, um, how deep we are. And I think we're only going to get deeper here in the next couple of weeks. Um, pause. But I think it's just, uh, we, we just, we, I think we really have a really good chance. And regardless of what you have on your roster, of course you need talent. When you got guys, 15 guys that buy into what it is that you're chasing when you have 15 guys that saying like, we're going to win a national championship and it can't be anything less than that. You give yourself a chance every day of the week. And you know, that's the biggest thing is just believing that. And I can't be the only one to believe it. Tane can't be the only one to believe it. Quan can't be the only one to believe it. Like all 15 plus every, every person on our staff, when they, when we truly believe that, and you got a program that really, truly believes it. And I think everybody believes in Tang to get it done. Yep. I think you give yourself a chance. You said you are going to get a little bit deeper in the next couple of weeks. So is there potential that we have another transfer coming in, maybe a reclass from high school, another route? Hey, man, I guess y'all have to wait and see. <laughs> 
Well, I do want to get into the personnel of this team, though, because you guys have an interesting makeup of roster. And in today's college basketball world, everyone loves making the preseason way too early thing. And I think in today's world, with the portal and all that, it truly is way too early. I mean, at this point, I just got a lot of schools that look good on my list. I don't really have them ranked or anything because if you do that, I think most people are just going to say, well, who has the most returners? And all right, we'll put them one, two, three, four, and five. Right. Because right. we don't know how they're all going to play yet. And you guys right. are kind of in that situation because last year we head into the season and okay, we know Keontae Johnson. Well, he he is a great player, but we haven't seen him in a couple of years. What's it going to look like? Marquis Noel, right. we didn't think he was going to break out. And so they were a team that people were like, we don't know what the heck they are, and they become the team that they were. It's similar right. this year, though. It's not as big of a turnaround as as year one for Coach Jerome Tang, but you guys still lose two guys that are all American players. You guys have a lot of guys like Desi Sills that's moving on. You guys have other guys that's changing pieces. You guys do return guys like Cam, though, Naquan, but you guys add in yourself. You add in Arthur Kaluma, add in some solid freshmen. What does this team look like? I think a lot of people are kind of still wondering, like, what, what exactly is this team going to look like? How good can they be? What, what like, the formation of this team? So what is this team looking like, to, in your opinion, so far? Extremely, extremely fast and athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Naquan in the background talking right now, actually. <laughs> extremely, extremely fast and athletic. And um, I think we're, we're going to be one of the best defensive teams in the country just because of mm-hmm. how long we are up front. And we have, extri- like I said, fast, fast guards. Um, that's Naquan right there. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> and um, um, I think the biggest thing is, is like we have talent in every position. And so uh, just continuing to learn how to play together, that's the biggest thing now. It's like you can have the most talent in the world, but if you never jail that talent, it's very, very hard to win games. And uh, mm-hmm. we like each other. You know, at the end of the day, like that's the biggest thing. It's like we genuinely like each other. We genuinely like hang out together. And so a lot of teams, like, you know, they fake it. And um, mm-hmm. I don't think you can get nowhere doing that. And, you know, what I noticed early, like uh, once we warmed up to each other, like we genuinely like hang out together whether that's just in our rooms and our living rooms, whatever the case may be. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're super talented, super fast and athletic. And um, I think we're getting, even though we're young, we're still continuing, I think, to grow. And, you know, I think we have a deep bench. I'm, I'm super excited about our freshman class. Mm. And um, I know a lot of people, when you don't have top 15, top 20 players out of the, you know, high school class, people don't look their way. But just, just watch. Day-Day Ames, Michaela. And um, RJ, um, them three freshmen, man, they legit. So that's what I was going to ask you too, because right now on paper, we look at you guys about six deep. Everyone says it. We know, we know what you do. You're going to be great. We know Arthur Kloon. We know what he's got. We know obviously the, the six of you guys, Kess Glover coming in and so on. You guys, like we got six veterans that we kind of an idea of what they're going to be like, and we know they're legit. After that, though, it's a lot of these younger guys, guys that haven't had the rotation yet. So you just said that you're really high on this freshman class, and and, and they have talent and all that, but no, obviously no one's seen them yet. So what should people be able to expect from the freshman class and guys that's going to kind of help fill out the end of the bench for you guys? Day Day Ames, um, you know, that's the the freshman I've taken under my wing, Mm -hmm. um, has a very, very good feel for the game. Um, He sees things before they happen a lot of times. Um, He plays a lot like Jalen Brunson. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he doesn't get sped up too much. Uh, As a freshman, you know, he still has a lot to learn uh, not being around the block yet. But um, he can shoot it. Uh, R.J. Jones can absolutely light it up when he gets hot. Um, a very good sharp shooter. And, um, you know, he's learning to defend a whole lot more and be more physical. Uh, and, you know, with no stretch. And, and I really mean that. Like, McCaleb has, like, a 67-inch vertical. Like, that's what it seems like. 
that dude jumps out the gym. And so, um, like I said, once they learn how to play the game at this high level, because, mm-hmm. you know, experience teaches us all. And so once they just get on the floor, I think it's going to come naturally to form because they all know how to genuinely play basketball. Mm. So you look at this Big 12 conference, the best conference in the country, in my opinion, has been that. I think we'll be that for a while. There's countless teams, you know. You got that rivalry out there in Kansas, going down Fieldhouse. They'll be coming out there to you. I know you're going to be able to play your former coach, Greg McCaslin, out there at Texas Tech. And then just got all those other great schools as well, Texas, obviously, and, and, and West Virginia list goes on. Who are you most excited to play against this year? Who do you think I'm most excited to play against? Guess another team up in the state? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's always fun. You know, people people don't understand. Like, people try to say this rivalry is crazy, and don't get me wrong, it is. This is, yeah. this, this is for sure one of the wildest rivalries I've ever been a part of in my life. And I haven't even played a game. <laughs> I was going to say. But people don't understand. Like, I was in Juco at Coffeeville, and Indy and Coffeeville hate each other. Like, the last chance you, Independence, yeah, mm-hmm. that's our rival. And so, like, them two, like, genuinely have a deep hate for each other, and they're 20 minutes down the road. So, it's like, I get, I understand the rivalry for sure. Um, but, but like, what I've experienced since I've been here with that, with the school down the road, yeah, this that's gonna be insane when we go to Allen Fieldhouse and they come here. I'm super excited for that game and definitely excited to go to Lubbock. But mm-hmm. I wanted to know though because we know that the fan base is when you're a K State Wildcat fan, you're a Jayhawk fan, you know the history, you're going right at it. But in your sake, you weren't ever a part of that until just about a few months ago. So when would you say that hate started kind of brewing in you? Like when did you start feeling? You know what? I, I don't really like those Jayhawks over there. Um. Probably when I stepped on campus and the kids start coming in Kansas Jayhawk jerseys and uh, to the camps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the parents were Jayhawk fans. Like, you can really feel it. It's, I'm telling you, it's a real thing. Like, I'm sure mm-hmm. you know. But, like, for those who don't know, like, don't don't wear Jayhawk jerseys to K-State and don't wear K-State jerseys to Kansas. <laughs> and because um, it's, it's real. And and so that's probably when I was like, oh, yeah, they, they really the ops. And so – Hey, but there was a video I saw when I was going through Twitter that there was a little kid came up to you and you ended up autographing the Jayhawk shirt. Was that a little shocking to you? Because, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like, obviously, I think I told you before, like, my family's from Kansas. I'm not sure how many people are going to wear a Jayhawk shirt and get autographed by a K-State guy. So, can you take us that through that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they came here, ran up to me, and he, they were in line, of course, taking autographs. And uh, mm-hmm. they had the, he had the Jayhawk jersey on, and I kind of made a joke about it, about I couldn't sign that. But um, at the end of the day, it's, it's all love. Uh, because you know, even before I came to K State, like I'm, I'm all Team K State. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, I played with Dewan, Christian, Ocha, and now Parker Braun, who's over there. Um, you know, and I, you know, I kind of, kind of grew up with them in a sense. And um, you know, in high school, I stayed with Christian, and we were all together, you know, all the time. And so as uh, I rooted for him before I got out here, but now, now that I'm, I'm in purple, is is definitely like, I can't, can't rock with y'all no more. <laughs> All right, so a couple more things before I let you go. Coach Drum Tang made a statement about a month ago, maybe a few weeks ago now. He said you're the best shooter in America. What's your thoughts on that? Um, I think he's a smart man. <laughs> I think he's a he's an extremely smart man. I definitely got to live up to that. But it's no pressure at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Tang is a very smart man. <laughs> All right, so if you had to go into shootout, what are the guys you think in the country that you know about that's in college right now 
would you consider them like if you were to make it if we're gonna have the dream college three-point competition right now obviously you'd put yourself in there i know you got two three four maybe however many guys you want to put in there who's who's gonna be in that competition uh i'm gonna say i'll give you four more i'll give you max admins yep um I'll probably go. Oh, it's a tough. It's some shooters in the country. Yeah. This is a tough one. Throw me some names, and I'll be able to tell you. Well, I th- honestly, I think you two are probably the best. I mean, I know there's a pretty big difference. You and Max are probably the two best, in my opinion. Obviously, coming off the dribble, being able to create your own shots, not necessarily just catch and shoot, as some other guys are. Right. Uh, I mean, I, honestly, I'd probably put you two up there as probably the two best guys. Uh, trying to think off the top of my head, but <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is I'm I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I can't. And I didn't went blank. <laughs> so basically, it's gonna be a YouTube battle then. Right. I think at the end, in the end. So you you guys are gonna play against each other though twice. Yeah. How excited are you for that? Extremely. Um, mm-hmm. Max is a, obviously a great player. Um, he had a Cinderella story at ORU. Yeah. And um, what he did over there, you probably never see again. And I got tons of respect for him. I wish he was over here in purple with me. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I'll see him down the road in January. And um, mm-hmm. I think it'll be, you know, a game for the ages. And, you know, I'm excited to battle. And um, he's he's fighting for the same thing I'm fighting for at the end of the day. And so, uh Again, I, I can't wait for that one. I'm excited for it. So you have one year remaining in college basketball. What would make it the season that you want? Like, if all the goals happen for yourself personally as a team, what would have to happen for that year to be success for you? I wouldn't care if I won a single single individual award all year. Mm-hmm. I would not care. If we win that national championship, Um, it's all my dreams have come true. <laughs> they can have every individual award all they want. I don't. I wouldn't care about being all American. I don't care about none of that. Player of the year, none of that. Mm-hmm. Host that trophy up at the end of the year in Phoenix, and my dreams have come true, and I'm good. So a couple more things. I, I want to touch up a little bit more on Coach Tang because I know we talked about some aspects of him, but I mentioned that we know he's as a strong believer. He's a great role model for guys, but we haven't got into the X and the O's and him as a coach yet. So. You just got the opportunity to play a couple of games with him as your head coach. What makes him special as a coach? Um, he allows you to, like I say earlier, when he I say he tells you to be you off the floor, he does the same thing on the floor. Mm. And um, you know, obviously, I played in the slowest pace last year, um, super controlled, <laughs> yeah. um, and it worked for us, obviously. But Tang is now allowing to me to express myself as a basketball player in all different type of ways. And it's it's really exposing the things that I need to be better at, you know, Mm -hmm. to potentially be on the next level. And um, that was the biggest thing is like having to learn and get better for the next level um, this year also, not just, you know, trying to win a national championship is the goal for sure. But, you know, one of the biggest things is like, you have to be better as a point guard, as a teammate, leader, whatever. And he, the way he coaches really allows me to see you know, this is exactly what I need to work on. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's so easy to to plan his system because he's just it's catered to not just me, but to everyone to really expose and to really see like this is what you need to do better if you want to do this or if you want to go here, if you want to be here. And so it's it's so easy to play in his system. There was this play in March Madness last year. Marquise Noel was obviously looking at him, looks like it's they're getting in a fighter. I don't know what's going on. 
throws the law, probably in my opinion, the best play that we saw in all March Madness last year. And I know you might not have to, you don't, I don't necessarily have to give the details unless you want, but have you guys possibly worked anything out yet? Like, I, like, I have to imagine that was a play they had in store last year. I know hopefully we can get Coach Tang on here eventually. I know we were talking about that, so I got to ask him specifically, but are there any potential unique, tricky type plays that you guys have worked on so far together? Um, Not yet. Not yet. Mm-hmm. We haven't yet. We haven't pulled none out of the bag yet, but I'm, I'm definitely excited to see that. And you also mentioned there was a few things he's talked to you about wanting to improve on so you can be able to play at the next level. What would you say some of those things are? Uh, expanding my range, um, mm. off and off the dribble and on the catch, shooting, um, making the right reads off screen and rolls, and making the right type of passes. And um, Coach Perry is gonna do you know wonders helping me with that. You know the point guards he's had his track record. So, mm-hmm. um, and those are the biggest things. And then just defending, showing people that I can defend high level players. And you know a lot of times I don't think I get enough credit for my defense. And, um, you know, now he's he's challenging me every day to, like, you know, defend at a very high level. And, you know, he expects that. It's not just something that he's asking me to do. He expects me to do it. Yeah. And so, uh, of course, I don't, you know, I don't want to let him down. So that was one of the biggest things. So now we got into your faith a little bit earlier on. And, and I want to expand on that a little bit more as well because you are very outspoken about your faith. I know you talk about it on social media a lot. When did you start really having that strong relationship with Jesus? Like, when did you start to pursue him and, and have him be the, the anchor of your life? Uh, probably right after high school, whenever I wasn't being recruited. And I mm. thought I was going to get red-shirted in Juco. Um, it was a little point in my life. Uh, like I said, I thought I was getting re- going to get recruited. I had just left high school off my high horse. And I was the last point guard on the depth chart. Mm. And... um. I probably cried myself to sleep four or five times in the shower or whatever. And uh, it was really like, you're not going to be able to get out of this by yourself. And mm-hmm. um, it was just, I had to take a step back and evaluate myself as a person. And, um, you know, I relied so much on myself and um, sometimes working hard, just uh, God, God puts us in positions and places and places exactly when we need to be there. Mm-hmm. And, he placed me exactly in Coffeeville right when I needed to be there. And he made me go through that storm right when I needed to, because I was almost at a point where it was just like, I'm ready to to sit it all down and, and go a different direction. And, and it was really then where I was just like, okay, I'm, I really have to, you know, rely on him to get me out of this, not just relying on myself and going to the gym for two hours. And um, it's easy to be like, I'm going to just go in the gym and I'll get over it or whatever. But like when you actually rely on him and, and allow him to do his work and do his justice on you and, and you give the glory to him instead of trying to take co- credit for yourself yeah. and, and, and trying to, you know, take his credit, it became so much clearer to me. And um, don't get me wrong, it still gets hard and it still is tough, but yeah you continue to believe and continue to trust like he's gotten me out of this storm. Why would he leave me now? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's where I'm at now. And, um, you know, it's, it's become so much easier in life to deal with things because I know he's going to push me through. And so, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't, I try not to worry about too many things anymore. I just, I give it to him. Plus you have to do work on your own. So yep. people don't understand. It's like, we think we're just going to say, okay, here, and that's going to be it. Well, that doesn't work like that. Amen. You have to do work on your own. You got to meet him there. He instilled it in you to meet him there. 
And so a lot of times we just sit back and think like, well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll let him do whatever. No, he, he put it in you for a reason. He, he instilled this confidence. He instilled this, this type of aura about you for a reason. Like he didn't put you here for no reason. He didn't bring you this far for no reason, but he's also not going to let you become lazy and content in it because he said he's going to deliver. Yep. It requires work behind that. And and you never know what the work may be. The work may be walking out your house and telling somebody, I hope you have a good day and speaking, holding the door for somebody. And yep. it's just simple as things like that. Like, And they say all the time, you never know when you're talking to an angel. And, you know, I try to live my life like that. And so, uh, yeah, man, I know I got off topic subject, but yeah, that was the biggest thing for me was like that time in Juco when I really had to open my eyes and see like he didn't bring you this far just to come this far. No, that's awesome, man. And, and I think that, a thing that we learn throughout the Bible a lot is that when we are in a lowest time, it's a lot easier to follow God because we, we are going to have to rely on something. We're going to need exactly. to be the light and, and, and we, we can have to rely on something. And obviously he's going to be there for us in the highs, the lows, no matter what, he's always right there by our side. But the part that Jesus talks about a lot throughout the word is that there's going to be times where we do come out of those bottom times. We're going to have things that we start having highs in life. And obviously you've had this situation now. You've become a player that's going to Kansas State. Now things look good. Things are overall at a higher place than it was back then. How do you maintain the strong relationship with Jesus and saying, you know what? The same guy that you were back when I was on my loads, the same guy you are today. And I don't want to change either. I want to keep making sure I grow and I stay living in humility. I stay growing to follow him and being a man after his own heart. Because he still has ways of humbling us. He still mm-hmm. has ways of keeping us grounded if we allow him. And, you know, they say that, you know, the devil can bless you too. And so, you know, the devil can put all these things into our in our face and, you know, these glamorous things that we think we want and we think is going to satisfy us and we think that's going to, you know, make our lives better. And we may feel temporary happiness in that moment, but at the end of the day, you cannot be deceived by what the devil, the devil's great looks. And that comes in many different forms. And so anytime something good happens for me, when I was on the plane on the way back from, you know, Israel, I was looking out the window, like almost ready to be emotional because it was like, look where the Lord has brought me. And it was like, mm-hmm. it's so easy for us to sit there and take credit. Like, and I could say, oh, I worked hard for this. I got here. I'm the reason. But no, at the end of the day, like what he's done for me in my life, not just on the floor, but off the floor has led me to this point. And I can't get here and be like, take credit for something that he did. It doesn't even, and, and even after him, it goes to my parents. And then yeah. it goes to my brothers. And then my, my aunt that helped raise me, like, I'm the last person on the list. Mm-hmm. And so it's so easy to just sit here and, you know, want to be congratulated. And that's what the devil does. He wanted what God had. He wanted everybody to praise him. Essentially is why, you know, he was kicked out of heaven. And so, Again, I just don't ever want to fall into that trap of taking credit for what he's done for me because, and it's so easy to do that, but I will never take his credit because he deserves it all. Um, And not just the miracles I've seen him do in my life, but I've watched thousands and thousands of people around me be blessed and come out of situations where there was no end, where there was nowhere to turn. And um, and like I said, it's so easy to just take that credit and we, and you can't. And it's just he can. And as long as you don't, you continue to praise him and seek that relationship with him to show him that you're thankful. Like he'll continue to bless you. 
you alluded to talking about being the light and always making sure that no matter where you're at, what you're doing, you're going to try being the light. And you now have a much larger platform now. And, and I know Coach Tang's talked about that before, that he gets to go out and be the light. He has a much larger platform. Being the head coach at Kansas State, you now get to be the point guard and the lead guard for Kansas State. How exciting is it to you to know that, at least for the next year or so, whatever it is, you get a chance to have a much larger platform. And, and you also have a coach that's going to support back and help you have that platform to be the light. How excited is it just to, to be able to kind of realize that you guys have an opportunity now to impact lives, not just make things cool and on the court entertainment, but also help them on a spiritual aspect by being the light over the next season? Um, With the platform thing, I probably got a girlfriend that doesn't like that. So, but nah, I'm just playing. <laughs> um, maybe, but nah, um, the pl it's it's because it's bigger than us at the end of the day. Like it's easy to just try to soak that all in and be like, look what I have now. Everybody look at me, but like, who are you touching in this process? Who are you making better in this process? And, um, you have to be able to, you know, bring others with you when it comes to this. Like, and one of the biggest things I always do when I go home is tell kids, like, there's no reason you should not look at me and say, I can't do that too. Mm. And, and that's just not the kids from out of Oklahoma. That's the kids out of Arkansas. That's the kids out of Texas, the kids in Kansas. Like, just please take me as an example. And that's with whatever. It doesn't even have to be basketball. Take me as an example and just say, like, Tyler Perry did that. Like, I can too. Because he's the same size as me. He's built like the janitor down the road. Um, he's not fast. Like, just, just, just look how hard he worked and how much he believed. And not only in his work, but in God and trusted in the process. Mm. And just think, like, I can do that too. And that's exactly what I try to try to put out into the world is like, I'm not the only one and I don't want to be the last one. Yeah. And and that was that's the biggest thing for me is just like I love seeing other people succeed. Like I love seeing kids who from my area come up and they took me as an example and was just like, You did it, so I'm gonna do it better. Yeah. And and it just it warms my heart to see it because it's like that's all you ever want is to know that I touched somebody. Um and I changed that kid's life by just by just showing up, by just acting right, by just being a good person and having being well mannered. I changed another kid's life because they seen that somewhere. And so, you know, that's the biggest thing. It's the 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 followers and the whatever the whatever the case may be comes with that. That's that's all good and you know, you know, good for your image. But really, try to go back and and grab the next Tyler Perry or go back and grab the next Jerome Tang and tell them, like, you can do a whole lot better than I did. Absolutely, man. Well, Tyler, I appreciate taking time to come on. And, man, I cannot wait to see what God's got in store for you over the next season. I'm excited to see what you guys got in store for you guys as a team. I appreciate taking time to come on today, man. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. Of course. You're always welcome, my man. God bless you, bro. All right, my guy. All right. Talk to you later, man. Well, I definitely appreciate him for tuning in today. And, and we officially now have the, had the very first episode with – the full schedule all going as planned. So appreciate Jaden for joining us earlier, for Tyler coming on right now. And this will be available for anyone to go check out throughout the remainder of, well, forever. Also, you guys can go check it out on any audio version as well. It's going to be on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, iTunes, whatever it is. It's on every platform you can get on audio versions. That'll be on a couple hours. Go check out on the rerun as well. But I appreciate everybody for coming on here and joining me today. 
will be on back on on Monday. Already have a full schedule lined up for then. Obviously, Mike Rose, who was going to come on yesterday, we should have everything as long as no more technical difficulties occur. He'll be joining us on Monday, and we also should have another guy, Caleb Battle, most likely. I'll let you, I'll make sure it gets announced though before the episode episode and shows begins on Monday. But I appreciate everyone for coming on here once again. Everyone have an incredible weekend. College football starts off this weekend. It should be fun. It should be exciting. Everyone go enjoy it. Appreciate everyone for tuning in once again. May God bless you guys all, and I'll see you guys tomorrow. All right, shoes out. God bless.